You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And today is the day of love. It is Valentine's Day, February 14th. And as we round into the new week, halfway through February, we got some great stuff to cover on our show today. First off, will Toronto hike the current land transfer tax for luxury homes? We're going to talk a little bit about the pros and cons and the different perspectives on what that could mean for our city. I think it's the biggest news right now as it relates to Toronto real estate. And then why do some experts consider the suburbs of Toronto to be in a housing bubble? We're going to talk about some of the arguments for that. And is Doug Ford's highway a slam dunk or an economic disaster waiting to happen. So many good things lined up for you today. Please hit that subscribe button, like the video, support the channel by downloading the last five episodes, leave us a review, whatever, all the things that it takes to support our channel. And guys, I really appreciate you. This is a time of year where we need to love each other, right? I mean, I, as someone who likes to read the Bible, the Bible is pretty clear that we are to love one another. Not, not as specific as something like the Kama Sutra, but you get the idea. And good romance, I find, starts with a good friendship. Bad romance starts with rah, rah, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> All right, we're gonna have some fun, guys. I hope you're ready. Or I hope you're ready. So we're gonna start off talking about will Toronto hike the land transfer tax specifically on luxury homes. Here's an article from CTV News to start us up with, with really the, the big topic for today. A Toronto budget briefing note reveals that the city could yield an additional $18.7 million in revenue this year if city council is willing to implement a luxury home tax. So properties valued more than $2 million are currently subject to a 2.5% transfer tax. But in addition to provincial fees, obviously Toronto has their own transfer tax, but proponents argue that a 1% hike could generate much needed cash for affordable housing in transit. All of the good things, right? The arguments in favor of this tax hike are like a, a romance book in Braille or like my uncle. Very touching. <laughs> but let's get real. Let's get real, guys. So here are some of the problems that the city in themselves already identified. We're going to talk about what the real estate community has to say, but even the city said this. City staff also noted the increasing the cost of luxury home sales could incentivize buyers and sellers to transact below the cutoff below that $2 million mark, slightly reduce the liquidity of real estate and discourage current homeowners from upsizing, potentially tightening housing supply for mid-value homes. Which reminds me, as someone who is familiar with the market and seeing this play out in different capacities of things like the first-time homebuyer incentive plan. You set these caps in place and all of a sudden the low end of the market takes off. Or the CMHG 20% down payment requirement for homes over a million dollars. It's no wonder homes below the million dollar mark are flying off the shelf. Maybe this is just going to be another one of those types of situations. But I actually, as a licensed professional, a real estate professional, got an email as a member of TREB that was very specific on what they are doing to counter this potential plan to come from City Hall. Here's what it says. Treb is raising concerns about the potential for city council to increase the municipal land transfer tax when it meets next week to approve the city's 2021 budget. 
it's expected, although they've already kind of said, no, we're not doing it, but it's expected that another attempt will be made at next week's city council meeting, which is going to be held on February 18th. So the Toronto Real Estate Board is taking upon themselves to act on behalf of their membership, on behalf of defending Torontonians. Here's some of the things they're doing. They're working with the mayor's office to push back on the proposal. They're alerting the media to bring attention to the proposal, of which we're doing the same here today, indirectly. They're, they're meeting with approximately two-thirds of city councillors this week to inform them of Treb's concern, make sure they know before they talk. They're providing information to the city's finance staff who are responsible for informing city council prior to their debate, and they're surveying Treb members for input. <laughs> so if you're looking for Treb this week, They'll be in the lobby. <laughs> but where's the love, guys? Can't we just chat this thing through? Come on. <laughs> it's Valentine's Day. Life without love isn't worth living. <laughs> love without life is necrophilia. Why would they write that? That's a terrible... That's so bad. Why would you say that? I don't know. I, I gotta change up the writer. I'll tell you. <laughs> that was one dark joke, man. And you know what, dark jokes? They're like cancer and love. They all have the same thing in common. Not everyone gets it. <laughs> oh, that's bad too. Oh, this guy's fired for sure. Looking for an assistant to help write my content. Just a public service announcement. But we're going to move on and talk about some other angles. This one's coming from the Toronto Sun. Here's Treb's position before we talk about the hole that's in Toronto. Uh, the, to the hole that Toronto is in, rather. Quote, addressing those challenges in a way that would make housing even less affordable is a wrong path forward. That's Treb's president, Lisa Patel, in a statement says, in fact, it's a step backwards. We're going the wrong way, guys. We're going the wrong way. Here's the hole, though. Listen to this. Toronto's budget committee began work as of January on the city's most challenging budget ever, facing a nearly $1 billion hole left by unprecedented revenue shortfalls and an enormous fiscal impact of COVID-19. So the reason for these things, as we much expected is they're trying to deal with this shortfall, right? It's not, and, and then I guess the question is, is, do we have any other options instead of the municipal land transfer tax, which shouldn't be there in the first place? This just goes to show you the reliance that's there. John Pasales had an interesting point, which I don't disagree with. I think it's, it's valid, something we should be looking at, right? During conversations like this. He says, increasing land transfer taxes for high-end homes is a terrible idea. It's likely to discourage the move-up buyers, which is what Treb's argument is, and it's a one-time fee. The city of Toronto would be better off by increasing property taxes. Then we're not, you know, moving people within the city. I mean, there's obviously an issue as Toronto City property taxes go up, incentivizes people to leave. But I think that's a step in the, a better direction. There's so many confusing parts of this. And I mean, I don't think kick, kicking the rich people is really our solution unless you want to lose like NBA players or something. Speaking of which, <laughs> it's theorized that Kyle Lowry is, he's rumored to have listed his $5.3 million home. A real estate listing in North York recently popped up and rumors are swirling that it belongs to Toronto Raptors star Kyle Lowry. There's no official confirmation, but there's a few signs that lead us to believe the rumors could be true. One of them was that he did a show where he showed off his indoor basketball gym and it's exact same as the photos in the picture. See you later, Kyle Lowry. He was up for the draft or he's, what is it? He's going to be a free agent or something this season. I'm not saying Kyle Lowry is maybe leaving because of taxes in Toronto, but I'm not, not saying it either. <laughs> Why are we okay with throwing shade at rich people though? Not me. I try my best to love my neighbor. 
But I think her husband may be on to me at this point. <laughs> but Bradley, rich people just get richer. And isn't Toronto like the luxury real estate capital of Canada? No, Vancouver is. <laughs> And if there's any doubt of that, listen to articles like this because the luxury segment of Toronto real estate is really struggling right now. Now Toronto.com's article reads, real estate prices in trendy Toronto neighborhoods drop by 30% report. Listen to this. Housing in some of the most coveted neighborhoods in Toronto dropped as low as 30% in value over the past year, according to a February 2020 report from real estate platform Strata. The dip in sale prices can be chalked chalked up to the influx of condos in Toronto, an exodus exacerbated by the pandemic to suburban real estate, where buyers can afford green space, the report says. Listen to this. The annex was the hardest hit at 29.96% drop, followed by Bloor Young area, Yorkville, and Castleoma falling 11 to 12%. Another article from BlogTO, Toronto's luxury neighborhoods have seen real estate value drop by 30%. Quote, buyers will often prioritize value over luxury when in a recessionary environment, which is interesting. Because all conversations I've had related to luxury real estate have seemed like things are still doing pretty good. But I guess given that there is luxury in the condo space, there seems to be a bit of a hard hitting happening to some of these, some of these places. Something that I think we need to be paying attention to. Quote, even those who have the means to purchase high-end properties are likely to hold off. Sometimes they worry that luxury might become devalued, resulting in a wait-and-see approach. And some people will say that. And not only that, but non-luxury, quote-unquote non-luxury, neighborhoods have increased in value. The Junction, 11.33, Leslieville, South Riverdale, 5.6, Regent Park, 5.67. So in this case, the rich are getting poorer and the poor are getting richer. How ironic. So there's another article from Toronto Stories. Condos in these luxury neighborhoods have lost the most value during COVID. Just to add one more piece to the pie here. A topic that's been much less investigated over the past year is that the neighborhood's value. Indeed, it's not just only condos across from Rogers Centre that have been garner garnering less attention as of late. Some of Toronto's most luxe areas have lost significant value from the duration of the durations of COVID. After years of growth, Toronto's luxury neighborhoods suffered a setback in the past 12. When it comes to year-over-year -year value, some areas, as we have seen, dropped by 30%. So why are luxury condos specifically struggling? Well, a couple reasons. Would-be buyers are asking themselves, what's the point of shelling out for a place of prestige when much of what makes it special isn't really accessible right now? When value is difficult to define, buyers stick to what they know, price and square footage, the report states. But they say, of course, there's still some hope. And the way they kind of position it is who gave condo market in general any shot? I mean, we were talking about success in December. We were thinking there's a bit of a, a pause. and We're like, OK, we might be OK. And we start seeing condos now. They're just going off to the races again. Perhaps it's the same with luxury. Don't count them out. Maybe they're not that far off either. Maybe that will also return. Right. As my granddad always used to say, as one door closes, another one opens. Lovely man, terrible cabinet maker. <laughs> he also really loved sugar. He ate it through his nose. <laughs> but there's, a, I think this headline kind of, it just summarizes this whole challenge that we're facing in our market. As realtors right now, Globe and Mail's article reads, Toronto's home buying frenzy is an agent's puzzle. Sure it is. Sure it is. We're trying to dis dissect, put that together, piece it all together for you guys and for our own damn selves. <laughs> 
But I want to move on to our next topic. I want to talk about why do experts consider the Toronto suburbs to be in a housing bubble? Now, bubble is a strong word. It's also a very good clickbait word. And I don't want to come at it from a clickbait perspective. I want to talk about, are we in a bubble? What are the arguments in favor of a bubble coming specifically from a Move Smartly article, which you can find down in the links below. The article reads, Toronto suburban housing bubble. So I want to give you some of the arguments to start us out on why there is a suburban housing bubble. Number one, heat in the cold months, heat of the market in the cold months. Average prices rarely change very much during the two months from November to January. And you guys will remember if you followed us back from September, October, I said, I really, really, really hope we have a boring winter. I really, really hope. This is kind of why. They actually have a chart here that shows the two month change in average home prices between November and January. And when we look at it, the, there's really three areas that jump up as definite outliers. The first is in 2009, where we saw during those months, a drop of looks like about seven and a half percent. The next one we saw was a massive increase in 2017. Many of you guys remember what that could have been. And that was up 5%, a big increase in a couple months in the winter, during those winter months. But what about 2021? The, the biggest by far jump, outlier, well over 15% in those same two months as a percentage of increase. That is absurd. That is crazy. Which brings me to point number two. This outrageous price increases. Average prices in Toronto suburbs were up over 30% in Durham, Halton, and York regions, and by 29% in Peel region. Prices in the city of Toronto, in comparison, were up a modest 15%, still high, but comparatively. So what makes it a bubble? Well, some economists and authors have been calling Toronto's housing market a bubble for the past 10 to 15 years. This article says they're far more reluctant to use the B word in those scenarios. They observed periods when on the ground observations of market exuberance lined up with quantitative data. The last time they felt there was a bubble in Toronto's market, they wrote about it as early as the summer of 2016. So Move Smartly is taking a very cautious approach in using the word bubble, but they believe that now is a good time to apply that word. But what they're really describing here is the difference in the, oh, we're always going to crash type of concept versus what, what I like to call and what I think is pretty fair, irrational exuberance. So what's the difference between overvaluation and irrational exuberance? Well, the wrong way to look at it would be the overvaluation model. Often assumes that house prices appearing overvalued relative to things like income or rents, those alone, that that would signal a presence of a bubble. And we've said for months and months, for years, really, we're not in a bubble for those reasons. It's just an expensive place to live. Like there's so many, so many things you could say to say overvaluation, but does that describe a bubble? Not really. But here's what does. Here's what does. Irrational exuberance generally refers to periods when people's motivation for buying a home and the price they pay is driven by a belief that prices will keep going up forever. Irrational exuberance is what I see as a as just a classic a classic bubble. That's what it is. Classic bubble. <laughs> that's what that's how you describe it. It's like I, it's just going to keep going up, right? Speaking of classic, <laughs> my pet chicken loves classical music. He always asks my name for his favorite artist. Bach. <laughs> Number 4. Another reason quantifying irrational exuberance takes a long time. And here's the challenge, guys. 
I know any of you are realtors, real estate professionals, or investors out there, you're maybe familiar. This is getting cray cray out here. But how do you quantify that? It's very difficult and it's very slow. If an investor buys a home today, they may need to wait three months before they take ownership. Could be. Well, even if it's two months, right? An analyst would need to wait an additional three to six months to see what they do with it. Do they try to rent it? Do they try and sell it quickly? What are they doing? So there's a time delay in actually identifying this irrational exuberance or bubble that could take over six months. So we're left to rely on what we see happening today, which to some people is not good enough. Too bad, because <laughs> we're gonna talk about it. What happens when the misinformed or irrational buyer is no longer the outlier, but the norm? What happens if that is the majority of buyers? What happens when the majority of buyers are paying 50, 100,000 more for a house today than what a similar house would have sold for a month ago? What if? What if that scenario were to happen? This is precisely the trend we have been seeing on the ground since November and is now being reflected in the data. That delay in many ways is actually starting to pop up in some of our stats. Reason number five is price volatility itself. The rate that house prices appreciate in a given city is typically relatively stationary over time. We got this kind of flux, right? Between 10, two to 10%. Generally we're around float up and down 6% right? All of a sudden we have this market where we're down 10% and then we're up 30%. The volatility should be some kind of leading indicator of potential problems that exist. So here's some clues they say to watch for if you want to tell if we're in a bubble. So maybe you're going to say, okay, I'm going to start to track this on my lonesome and see if this is in fact a bubble. Well, this is a good way to do it. If a rate of growth in house prices begins to accelerate further, moving further and further away from the long-term trend that we've mapped out, you know, this two to 8%, it is more likely that the surge in house prices is indicative of a housing bubble. That number is way up, 30%, way up. Does that continue to stay way up or is it gonna get back down to normal? How though is today's bubble different than what we saw in 2017, which is probably still fresh in a lot of your memories? Well, here's a few ways. Number one, the demand for suburban homes to date is not just investors, but it's also end users. It's a lot of people leaving the city to these suburban communities, and that is different. That's not what we experienced in 2017. Another thing is the decline in mortgage rates, right? We were paying in 2020, it was 30% interest, and now we're floating like the mortgages are like one and a half percent. Big differences. Another big difference is that the acceleration in house prices has been far more rapid than 2016. So it's even more extreme. One way to see this is to consider how many months it took for house prices to appreciate by single digits to over 30%. In 2017, it took 25 months to get that crazy. This year, it took eight months. Wow. We also have this surge in fake flippers, people that aren't just buying it and doing the HGTV reno and sell, but they're just buying it and selling it. Crazy crazy. Number four, we are in the middle of a housing bubble, a booming housing bubble that investors believe the government will do everything in their power to keep going. Not the same as 2017. In fact, I sold a property in 2017 and timed the market perfectly because we could see the pressures that were coming from the government. That's not the case this time. All signs are clear. Everyone is in support that we're not overvalued. In fact, CMAC said just that. They concluded we're not overvalued. We have a low risk of overheating and price acceleration. That was in December. We also see the Bank of Canada saying, so far, we're not seeing the kind of excessiveness in the housing market that would really get us worried. So the Bank of Canada 
by the way, is super good at kicking the can down the road. The Bank of Canada's favorite day to address the problem seems to be tomorrow, which also happens to be your wife's favorite day to make love. Right, fellas? <laughs> uh, when you get married, fellas, your love life becomes like a bank card. Contactless. <laughs> uh, so funny. I find these things really funny. I, I mean, if for and no other reason, it keeps me going, keeps me energized, all this, all this joy. <laughs> But it's different in this scenario. Very much is. Like we have all signs, everyone backing you up. And if there's, it's almost as though if housing prices were to come down, the government's got you. Don't worry. Not what we had in 2017. So how is the bubble going to end? This is a good question. This is really up to you guys to decide. This is what the article has to say. I think it's unlikely we'll see prices fall in 2021. So for this year, probably not much difference. To paraphrase economist Paul Krugman, housing bubbles don't end with a pop, but with a hiss. And I think that's quite interesting, right? It doesn't come from all of a sudden price drops, but instead we start seeing falling sales and rising inventory. So there's a little bit of a delay. 27, And oftentimes there's something that needs to trigger it. Like in 2017, the foreign buyer's tax was a psychological trigger that deflated that perceived bubble. But listen to this. I think this is great. I think this summarizes the angle. This comes from John Pasalis on Twitter. The consensus view I hear from investors is that if you're going to invest in a housing bubble, you want to ride the bubble that governments are supporting on the way up and the one they'll throw every policy tool available at to avoid a decline in house prices. What can go wrong, guys? What can go wrong? CBC.ca article reads, pandemic optimism and bubble warnings leave investors wondering who to trust. The only people who I see concerned with rapidly rising home prices are real estate agents, myself included, and mortgage brokers. We ain't having a whole lot of fun in this environment, but don't trust them. I hear they're, they're only working for their own self-interest. Trust the government right? The government, there's no bubble. Home prices are going to the moon. Don't you worry guys. But even if people disagree with my views, because I'm a realtor, I still love sharing my thoughts with you guys. As my grandpa always said, do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. He did heroin. <laughs> we do this. All right, we're going to jump into some hot topics. And this is the part, speaking of love, I would love if you guys could jump on our investor list, please do that down below. And uh, support the channel, guys. I really hope that, uh, leave us a comment if you have any questions or articles you want us to cover. I love having a two-way conversation. I sometimes feel like I'm yelling at a camera, which I am kind of doing, but I love hearing back from you guys. It, it makes it all worth it. Okay, so let's do some hot topics. Hot topic number one, gonna get a little bit of a change of pace here. Get some fun stuff for you. Blogto.com, Toronto's getting a new affordable housing just for the single bombs, all the single ladies. City of Toronto has taken a unique new venture that will see dozens of affordable housing units reserved for members of a vulnerable group that most needs them, single mothers. This is out in Regent Park, specifically dedicated to demographic. They're going to charge 80% of the CMHC's average market rent, which is already below the real market rent. And But I think that's interesting. I think, as I was going to say about that, I think that's interesting. It'll be interesting to see if there's other people groups that are defended in these types of ventures. No doubt affordable housing is a big push that we're getting across our country right now. Another article, CTV News, also kind of fun. Real estate agents, music videos, sell homes, demystifying the housing market. A real estate agent's quirky musical marketing campaign seems to have struck a chord with home buyers. 
this guy, Bazinski, he's now pretty much going around saying to all his clients, you know what? I'm going to create a music video for you. I'm going to sell your house a music video. And he's getting quite a bit of, of fame. So I guess we officially have the 50 cent of the real estate community here in Ontario. Did you guys know that Zimbabwe actually loves the rapper 50 cent? <laughs> Or as he's known there, $400 billion. <laughs> That'll be Canada very soon. Don't you worry. The Big Canada. Let's talk about what they're doing. The Big Canada is researching potential system designs and business models for a digital currency. We've talked about this, like a banknote, which would be widely accessible, secure, and, and denominated in Canadian dollars. I think Canada is really a leader, from what I can tell, on the, on the global stage of doing this. They had the University of Calgary, McGill, and U of T and York University all submitting these plans on what that could look like. But here's what they say. The government's really good at looking at things they don't plan on applying. Listen to this. While the bank is ramping up contingency planning for a central bank digital currency, it currently has no plans to issue one. We're just, we're just checking it out. We're just checking it out. We're just, to, we're just curious. <laughs> Thanks for the tax dollars. All right. The Globe and Mail. Immigration. What are the numbers there? I think it's a great update. Immigration to, to Canada drops to lowest level since 1996. There's dropped a four in 2020 dropped 46%, which we knew, but that is actually just over the last, it's the lowest level in just over two decades, which is crazy. Quote, the first quarter this year will be weak, but I expect a strong second quarter and much stronger second half. That's Benjamin Tall, chief deputy chief economist with CIBC. So it would seem that the first half, uh, really what's happening in the first quarter, we're not meeting those very aggressive targets being set by the federal government. Maybe it's because COVID's still happening. Let's see if that continues or if they can get their act in order and start to ramp up those immigrant immigration numbers. But here are some of the things that Canada is currently doing. Ottawa plans to grant permanent resident status to some temporary foreign workers who would normally be required to return to their home when their visa expires. As well, international post-secondary students can be eligible to apply for permanent status as soon as they graduate. So we don't want them going back. Just stay. Just stay, guys. I mean... A, what well, a dollar saved is a dollar earned. Uh, immigrant saved is an immigrant earned. <laughs> TorontoStories.com. Residential evictions allowed to resume in parts of Ontario this week. We know, we talked about this in our last show, that the state of emergency is starting to kind of stop. We're, we're, we're leaving that. We're going to start to go into this color-coded scheme. Well, given that some of them, as of Tuesday, are going to, the stay-at-home orders they say, are being lifted in three regions of eastern Ontario, this would also lead us to say residential evictions are also allowed. The stay-at-home order will then be lifted to 28 additional health units on February 16th. We're talking a couple days from now in Toronto, Peel, and York regions, as well as February 26th when eviction enforcements can resume. So over the next week or two, as things start to reopen, whatever those dates, you can check the dates out depending on what region you're in, you're going to be allowed to evict once again Lots of fun, I tell you. This up and down, this eviction slash can't evict, can't evict, can't increase rent. It's crazy. But I think at this point, we're really relying on the scientists. We're relying on the chemists. Is that a thing? I don't know. <laughs> I just wanted to tell a chemistry joke, but all the good ones are gone. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know me. You know me. I love to tell dad jokes. He laughs sometimes. <laughs> So why is the moratorium good? Like, what is the reason? What's a good argument in favor of it? In fact, there's a CDC analyst or analysis done in the U.S. that found that lifting the moratoriums led to an average of 433,700 cases and 10,000 deaths. So lifting the eviction moratorium could, based on these numbers, lead to actual deaths and actual case increases. Okay. 
But why is it bad? Well, CMHC estimates about 11% of Toronto was in arrears as of last fall. Extrapolating to the entire province would equal to evictions of about 400,000 tenants. <laughs> that's, quite a, that's quite a hit to the rental market, I'd say, right? All right, let's get into our last final topic, talking about superhighway. Is Doug Ford's superhighway a slam dunk? Or is it just like an economic disaster? This has politicians in various cities, various communities, and the province very polarized, very divided. This might be one of the most divisive issues on the table right now. I want to talk about what kind of both sides are saying. Well, so you guys probably have heard about the superhighway that's coming. It's going to go through the northern perimeter of Halton, Caledon, and Vaughan. It's an estimated $10 billion construction cost. It's a new 400 series with 55 kilometers of through prime farmland, conservation lands, and protected areas. Which we know Doug Ford don't care about the protected areas anyways. But according to real estate and construction experts, the government's plan is much more just a highway proposal. It, it's not just a highway proposal, they say. It's a bonanza for land speculators and builders. <laughs> We're going to talk about some of that. But let's first discuss why it's good. Why are people saying, yeah, let's do it. In addition to serving 300,000 auto vehicle trips a day in 2031 and relieving traffic on local roads and parallel highways, the GTAW, GTA West, will benefit the economy by, quote, reducing travel times for commuters and goods, providing greater connect connectivity between urban growth centers, and providing better connections to residential and employment lands. It will also provide greater economic vitality. Fancy. All these things. It sounds so good. Sold. Do it. At any cost. Well, hold your horses. <laughs> hold your farmers. We love our farmers, right? I love anyone that can bring us food. I know we can all agree, like, ladies, I know y'all love the bakers because he's making the bread. <laughs> but there's some bad things. There are some bad things. We know there's conservation authority is not big fans. We've got a lot of the people that are running these groups just quit. It's like, screw you. You don't even care what we say anyways. But now we've got another group that's standing up for the cause. Farmers. Alongside key business leaders at the helm of Ontario's massive agribiz industry, which employs almost a million people, are leading the charge. On Thursday, Ontario's Liberals and the Green Party and the NDP are vowing to kill Highway 413, the GTAW, the superhighway. Quote, the agriculture, food, tourism, and recreational industries deserve to be heard too. This project puts tens of thousands of jobs and billions of dollars of economic activity in those sectors at risk. Fun facts, for those of you who aren't big in agriculture, myself included, it's a big part of our economy. Farming and food processing employ almost a million people in the province and generate $35 billion in annual revenue. Listen to this. The regional food and farming economy of the Golden Horseshoe is North America's third largest after Southern California and Chicago. Interesting. Big deal. But all that to say, it's not like it's balanced on either side. I mean, this article, I won't get into too many details. There are mayors that are saying, yeah, just do it. There are local MPPs that are just like, just do it, you know? A lot of people have already sold their land. In fact, the president of the Peel Federation of Agriculture, which has 350 members, said, I got to sell it to deep-pocketed developers, right? And a lot of other people are going to follow suit. And politicians are extremely divided. Quote, agricultural land is valued as low as 18000 an acre, but residential land is easily worth a million dollars an acre. 
That's where the money comes in. That is obviously the big influence on many people, politicians included. Sounds like not a bad tax base for those of you who are struggling, but we're all doing okay with COVID as, as we've heard, right? And there are billions to be made in the future from developing these lands into ever more unsustainable sprawl when we should be building up in our existing urban areas. Torn issue. I'm sure you have your thoughts on it. I know I do. And I try not to get those to come out as I'm talking, but here's some final thoughts. The way they wrapped up this article, why not do the same? I think it's kind of funny. Maybe it's time to consider whether Toronto has now reached its optimal footprint size. Remember, once we've paved over the lands that provide our food supply, it's gone forever and you can't eat real estate. <laughs> I mean, it kind of is important in my life. I don't know about you guys. Anyways, before I wrap up here, you know, I like to have fun and we're going to wrap up with, with a, on a high here, but please subscribe to our channel, hit that like button, leave us a comment. We love to, hum I, I'll tell you with Valentine's day, I love you guys. And there's a reason that we put in the amount of effort we have over the last year to bring you fantastic content on our market. And I respect any of you, regardless of what your thoughts are. I know we all have different opinions on all of these things, but we like to have fun along the way. And I think we can all agree as it relates to Valentine's day. There is no better feeling than laying next to the person you love and you, and they don't know you love them and that you're in their house again. <laughs> That's so creepy. Happy Valentine's day, guys. I hope you have a wonderful week. Take care and keep it real.